Hello. Welcome to this episode of Criminal Mischief, the art and science of crime fiction on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm D.P. Lyle, your host. In today's show, I want to talk about the common medical mistakes that I see writers make in their fiction, uh, particularly in crime fiction, but really in all genres. Um, I always say everybody's smart in something and not so smart in something else. And I think these errors that I see uh, from medical point of view in stories comes from not having medical background or medical knowledge, which is the case with most people. Um, and, and then assuming that what you've heard your whole life is true and uh, passing on those um, errors, so to speak. But there's also you know something, but you don't know something else. And you go on the internet and start looking for stuff and everything sounds believable. Everything sounds true. Uh, if it's well-written, if it's well-presented and it looks authoritative, then it must be correct. The problem is having a filter to filter all of that out so that you know the wheat and you know the chaff. So think about something that you're well-versed in, whatever it is, whatever your walk of life is, whatever your occupation, your job, whatever, something that you know a lot about. I don't care if it's knitting or soccer or medicine. It doesn't matter. And go Google something on it and look at it. Half of what you find, you're going to say, well, that's not true. It's because you have a filter with which to approach that subject. You can filter out the chaff and get to the wheat. Well, most people don't have that in medical situations. It's basically folklore and what they've seen on TV, and they regurgitate the same mistakes over and over again. So listen to me. It's not your fault. You don't need to know all that stuff, but you do need to look up that stuff, and you do need to pay attention to that stuff. So what I want to do today is talk about a few of the most common things that I see and hopefully uh, prevent you from making these same mistakes when you write your stories so you'll have a better understanding of how things really work in the medical world, uh, particularly how they impact storytelling. So let's start with, uh, with uh, trauma and sudden death. We've seen this all the time where someone is shot and drops dead and that's the end of it. Um, not so fast. That doesn't happen all that often. Now, there are things that will kill you quickly. Heart attacks and strokes can do it very quickly. They usually do it by inciting a arrhythmia, a cardiac change in rhythm that is not compatible with life. Heart attacks most often kill by upsetting the electrical part of the heart, and people go into what we call ventricular tachycardia and ventricular fibrillation and drop dead. Cyanide can kill very quickly. Sodium azide can kill very quickly. So there's a, two or three poisons out there that will kill very quickly. Which brings up another point that I see. And I'll just throw this in as an aside. Poisons don't have timers. I get a lot of questions from writers and they want to give somebody something and then the next afternoon they drop dead in the middle of a cocktail party and it looks like a heart attack or a sudden death. Well, here's the deal. Poisons that kill quickly usually work quickly. Like cyanide, if you ingest cyanide, you're in trouble in a hot minute and you're dead in a hot minute more. Uh, it's not going to sit in there and wait until it's convenient for your plot. 
So you have to have a slower poison if that's going to be the case. But we're talking about trauma here. Uh, in order for trauma to be instantly fatal, whether if it's a knife or an arrow or a gunshot or whatever, it really has to hit one of three things. The brain and not every place in the brain. People get shot in the brain and do fine all the time. Uh, but the brain, the lower part of the brain or in some important area of the brain or severe damage to the brain because of the size and caliber and speed and hollow pointness, if you will, of the bullet, what it's penetrating and destructive power is. And this, all, this is a whole nother discussion. Or at the brain stem, we call it, which is where the spinal cord connects to the brain. This, if the first inch or so of that, what we call C1 through C3 or 4, the first couple of inches of the brain is damaged, or the brainstem itself, or the upper part of the spinal cord, it immediately severs the connection between the brain and the lower body, and the individual go into what's called spinal shock. All the blood vessels open up, the, the heart shuts down, the blood pressure drops to zero almost immediately, consciousness is lost almost immediately. It's like a marionette whose strings have been cut and the person dies very quickly. Thirdly would be to the heart. A gunshot wound to the heart can kill you quickly or it cannot. People have been shot in the heart and survived. That depends on, again, the amount of damage, uh, the type of bullet, uh, luck, a lot of other things. So you don't usually shoot someone and, and they just drop dead. What they usually do is they bleed and they die over time. And you shoot someone in the lung, they can drown in, in, in their own blood. You shoot someone in the leg, they can, and it can damage an artery, and they can bleed out over 10 to 20 minutes. You shoot someone in the abdomen, you can hit the liver or the spleen or the aorta or the vena cava uh, or a kidney, and the bleeding can be internally, and it may take hours to bleed to death. But it happens. Or people survive. Almost anything can happen in this type of traumatic injury. Now, you ask um, any emergency room physician uh, or nurse or anyone who works in an emergency room, a busy emergency room, tell you that people can come in with multiple gunshot wounds and do just fine. And in fact, they scream and spit and holler and call you names and do all kinds of stuff. And this seems to be particularly true on Friday and Saturday nights when they're liquored up. You cannot kill a drunk. This is a medical truism. You cannot kill a drunk. You can shoot them and you can stab them and they can wreck cars. The family of four that they run into gets killed. They don't get harmed. Drunks don't die. It's unbelievable, but it's true. Also, the full moon is real. Ask anyone who's worked in an emergency room. If it's a full moon, bad things and crazy things happen. And people walk in with ice picks in their heart and it's waving there. I've seen it and they just walk in and say, hey, you know, I got stabbed with an ice pick. Um, and also, also on pay weekends. Every other weekend, if people get paid twice a month, pay weekends are always more dangerous. And it's interesting that in emergency room docs will tell you this, that during the summertime, it's, it's more often rifles and long guns. And in the wintertime, it's handguns because everybody's indoors. Uh, that's not, I don't have any statistics on that, but my bias is, is that's exactly true. But at the end of the day, if you're hero gets shot or a person or, or someone gets shot, they're not going to die instantly except under rare circumstances. Can they? Absolutely. Do they usually? No. Most people survive gunshot wounds 
for a while. And then they have to get the medical help and then they got to be helped appropriately. So your shootings and stabbings aren't just bang, fall down, you're dead. That's in the movies. And that happens all the time. You see the hero pick off people, one, two, three, four, and they're all dead. No, most of them would not be dead. Most of them would be hurt, damaged, and angry. And they would return fire. Um, the other thing is the one punch knockout. You see this all the time. A guy gets punched in the jaw and he's knocked out and they're going to kidnap him and take him somewhere. And they throw him in the trunk of the car and they drive a hundred miles and they go out in the middle of nowhere. And now they're going to wake him up. It's usually the hero. And you know, he's going to escape. You're just not sure how yet. And then he's in the trunk and he's unconscious and they throw water on him and he wakes up. And then he's perfectly normal. Doesn't work that way. If someone gets struck in the head and is rendered unconscious, this is called a concussion. If it is a brain bruise and they actually get damage to the brain, it's anything from a contusion to an intracranial bleed of some type. And that's another whole discussion. Those are more serious injuries. But a simple knockout, a simple concussion, usually only lasts a few seconds or a few minutes. And then the person might be a little groggy and might have a headache and might have disturbed vision, may even be a little nauseated and dizzy, or they may come to and, you know, after a minute or so feel perfectly normal. It can be anywhere in between. But the point is that if someone's out unconscious from a blow to the head for more than, say, 10 minutes, there's something bad going on and they're not likely to easily recover. So if you use a knockout blow to render someone unconscious, then the killer must act pretty quickly or the kidnapper must act pretty quickly to subdue that person by other means, you know, duct tape or handcuffs and whatever. But they must take the advantage of the time that they're out to gain control and then throw them in the trunk of the car. And then if they wake up, you know, they got tape over their mouth. They're not going to scream and yell and they're all strapped up. They're not going to kick that much. And then you can drive them out in the country, but they're not going to be unconscious laying there because you want them to be that way. That's not going to happen. Um, except under extremely rare circumstances. The other thing, and this is probably more in movies than novels, though you do see it in novels too. Uh, I call it sleeping beauty or the Hollywood death where someone dies and they're, and they, and they're beautiful, their, their hair is perfect, their makeup is perfect. Uh, they may have a slight quiver to their eyelashes and their lips because they're trying their best to play dead. But death is not pretty. Even if someone dies in, in their best outfit and their best makeup and they're you know cleanly shaved and whatever, once death arrives, change th things change very quickly in a matter of minutes. The skin gets pale, it cakes on almost a sallow, yellowish hue. It looks rubbery, it feels rubbery, and it gets cold very quickly because there's no more blood flow to the skin. Now, it may take the body hours to lose significant body heat. That's another discussion, too, about time of death. But the skin gets cold very quickly. But the point is, is that a person who dies is not pretty. It's not a pretty death. It never is a pretty death. It may be calm. It may be peaceful. It 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 may be all of those things, but it, they're not going to look like they did before they died. They're going to look differently and they're going to look well dead. They're not going to have that, that life spark, that, that, that beauty. 
trauma. Wow. This is a huge one. I've already talked about a blow to the head and what that will do, but think about other things. How many times have you seen heroes and stories get into fights and 10 minutes later, they're fine. I mean, it's a knockdown drag out. They're punching each other, throwing each other off, off balconies and crates and uh, out, out of cars and doing all kinds of nasty stuff. They're hitting, getting hit with baseball bats and they're getting rocks thrown at them and, you know, tumbling down hills and hitting trees and all kinds of stuff. And yet they got no cuts and bruises and bumps and they're able to do everything. Trust me, if you fell off the balcony and landed a floor below, you, it probably wouldn't kill you, uh, but you wouldn't be too spry for a while. If you tumbled down some stairs, you could die or you could live. You could have broken bones or you could not have broken bones, but chances are you're going to be bruised and banged up and you're not going to be in your fighting shape. You're not going to be able to defend yourself for a while. And if so, you're going to be hampered because trauma causes injuries that interfere with body function. You can't fight. You can't run. You can't escape like you could when you're perfectly normal. And so trauma does things. You see it all the time. Someone gets stabbed or gets shot or gets hit, hit in the head with a bat or something. And then five minutes later, they're fine. And, you know, James Bond can chase down the bad guys after a good Lord falls out of airplanes. He can do anything and survive. And guess what? His hair doesn't even get messed up and his tux is perfect. Well, in the real world, this doesn't happen. So use that. Use that as your story. Let's say your PI is getting chased by some bad guys and he does tumble down some stairs and he tweaks his hip. Well, have him deal with that over the next few days. It's going to take a while for this to go away. Now, he's going to gradually get better if nothing severe has been damaged, the joint or the ligaments, and there's been no broken bones. He's going to get better, but he's going to take you know pain medications. He's going to put heat on it or cold on it or whatever. He's going to stretch it. He's going to be uncomfortable sitting. He's going to be uncomfortable standing. When he tries to drive his car and he's trying to you know push on the brake, if it's his right heel, he may have that pain. Use that in your story to add realism because he's not going to be normal. That person's going to be damaged. That's what trauma is. Trauma is damage. And this gets up the other thing, the black eye, the bruises and all this stuff. So let's say your character gets hit in the face and has a black eye or a big bruise on their cheek. And then it's never mentioned again. Maybe you mentioned it once or early the next morning, and then it's kind of like it disappeared. No. Bruises take about 10 to 14 days to go to go to go away, depending upon the, the, the intensity and depth of the bruise, the kind of bruise, the location. But in general, they actually get worse over the first 24 to 48 hours. A bruise that's light gets deeper. It gets darker, purple or blue or blacker, and it gets deeper. And it looks worse 24 hours later than it does 10 minutes after it happened. And that's just blood. What happens in a bruise is the trauma cracks the capillaries, the small microscopic blood, blood vessels that, that are everywhere in our body. They run past every cell in our body. So there's billions of them. And, and they get crushed and damaged by the trauma. And so they seep blood into the tissues. And that blood is devoid of oxygen because what oxygen's there, the cells are going to take. They're going to take anything they can get. And uh, 
and it's going to turn very deep blue, purple, black. And that the bruise will, as that oozing takes place, as it spreads, as it intensifies, the bruise will get darker. Then after about, you know, 12 to 48 hours, the bleeding will stop. The bruise may progress for another hour or two after that, but then it kind of settles down. So by the time you get to 48 hours, the bruise is about as ugly as it's going to get. And there's, barring other trauma, there's usually not any more bleeding in there. So now what happens? The body starts removing those blood products, particularly hemoglobin. And they go in there and enzymes start working on it, breaking it down. And this changes the chemical makeup of the blood material in the bruise itself as it's in the tissues has seeped out and is starting to be destroyed and packaged so the cells can remove it from the body. The white blood cells can come along and eat it and take it away. Well, this process turns it from the blue-black into kind of a sickly yellow and brown into a greenish color and then finally it fades and goes away. But this takes anywhere from 10 to 14 days. So use that in your story. Be realistic. That's how it works. Another corollary to this, and I've, ta- I've touched on it already, is the instant athlete. Now, whether if your character's been injured or not, uh, they're suddenly put in a situation where they have to do something that is heroic. They have to run two miles. They have to climb a cliff. They have to scale a wall. They have to fight three people. They have to do something that is truly heroic. But have you made them capable of that? If you've got um, a nice little old lady who is uh, a greeting card writer and sips tea and happens to be an amateur sleuth, she's probably not going to be able to overpower two or three guys or outrun them, or climb the side of a wall or a building or something. Or if you have a a PI and the guy drinks too much and smokes too much, he's probably not going to be able to run two miles. He's going to run 200 yards and he's going to be gasping for breath and almost vomiting. Use that. That's important. That puts him in more jeopardy. But too often you see people who who are not prepared, who have no history of this, um, unable to do the things that you want them to do. But let's take your, 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 your little old lady who sips tea and, 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 and tries to solve crimes, and she's 70 years old. Well, if you show her earlier on, she and her friends go walking every day, and she takes Pilates classes. Oh, and by the way, at the gym where she does her Pilates, there's a wall, and she likes to do wall climbing. Why not? She can do that. But that means that when she has to scale the side of a building or a wall or a cliff or something to get away, the reader now says, yeah, she knows how to do this. She knows how to do this. I think the classic example was in the movie Marathon Man. If you remember, Babe Levy, which was played by Dustin Hoffman, um, is being pursued by Christian Zale, Dr. Christian Zale, who was played by Sir Lawrence Olivier. He's basically playing the Mingala character. But um, so Dustin Hoffman 
uh, early in the film, we see him running. And he's running around the reservoir there in New York. And he runs and he runs and he runs. And he's always trying to beat his best time. And he, so he's a distance runner. We know he can run. Uh, there's other guys there that can outrun him, and that's a source of frustration for him. But he's a runner. So later, when he must run for his life, he's prepared. He can do it. And we're thinking, you know, he might pull this off. If he, again, sat around and was overweight and ate Cheetos and smoked cigarettes and drank alcohol all the time, and if you saw him do all the things that Dustin Hoffman had to do in that movie to get away, you'd say, I don't believe this. I don't believe this person would do this. But they had prepared you for his ability. Now the suspense becomes, okay, so he's done all this running, but these are professionals after him. Is he going to be able to get away? And that creates its own tension. We know he's got certain skills, but how good are they? Are they enough in this situation? It at least gives the reader who is on his side a glimmer of hope that, you know, yeah, he might be able to pull this off. I hope he does. But will he? So let's keep reading and find out. So at the end of the day, to kind of recap all of this, be careful with sudden deaths. Be careful with someone throwing a knife and someone falling dead, which almost never happens, or a gunshot wound and someone falling dead instantly, which rarely happens, uh, with death that's beautiful, with trauma that just disappears and doesn't affect the character. That's not true. It does affect them, and it doesn't disappear easily, and it leaves behind problems, whether they're bruises or limps or inability to use one extremity. And, and the thing, if someone breaks, you know, injures their shoulder, make them have to climb a ladder, make them have to climb a building, make them have to climb a wall. In other words, they got to use that body part, make it tough on them, but consider how this is going to affect them. And then don't make your, your hero, a sudden athlete, someone who has never done anything like this. Uh, don't, don't let your, your female detective be able to knock someone out with a punch unless, oh, she does karate or she does boxing, which is very popular now, or, or the police training. If she's a police officer, gave her the ability to, to fight this way. Uh, but don't just let it be the average person able to suddenly knock someone out. It's not as easy as you think. Um, so anyway, I hope there's a lot I covered here. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities and trust me, this is the very, very, very veneer of the tip of the iceberg, the things that can go on medically with humans and particularly in traumatic situations is, is infinite. There's thousand page textbooks written about this stuff and even they don't cover the whole subject. But the point is, is pay attention to what's going on. You've all had injuries. You've all had bruises and bumps. Pay attention to that. Research that. Consider the source when you do that. Go to WebMD or the Mayo Clinic. Don't just, whatever Joe throws up on the internet, believe it to be true. Go to sources that are trusted and ask questions that you can do that. Be sure and send emails to people who have written uh, articles on this. They say, you know, I'm curious. I have this thing. You'll be amazed how they will respond because the, the word writer, the word author carries a lot of weight. Don't be afraid to ask people questions, but get it right. But most importantly, use common sense. 
use common sense. If someone gets shot or stabbed or injured, they're not going to be perfect for a while. If someone gets bruised and banged up, they're not going to be perfect for a while. They're going to have to deal with those injuries. And guess what? That adds another level of suspense to your story. So use it. So until next time, this has been DP Lyle here on Criminal Mischief, the art and science of crime fiction on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And until next time, I'll see you later.